Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. This morning we're going to be in the book of Philippians. It's in the New Testament. It's after Galatians and Ephesians. Then you get to Philippians, and then if you go too far, you'll end up in Colossians. I'll give you guys a minute to turn there. If you actually don't own a Bible, the Bibles that are placed around the room are for you. So we would like you to take one of those Bibles and write your name in it. It's our gift to you. We would love for you to have a Bible. We love the Word of God because the Word of God points us to God and teaches us about who He is and His character. And so we want that to be... uh, a gift that you have access to at all times. And so please feel free to take one of those. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to be in verses 4 through 9. This morning we are continuing our mini-series, a four-week series titled Tracing the Root. So Ronnie preached last week and he preached on the uh, root sin, the root idolatry of comfort and pleasure. Ronnie did a phenomenal job. If you did not catch that sermon, you can actually go back on the GCC podcast and you can listen to it there. He did a great job introing the the series and what the point of the series is, but also on teaching on that source idol, that, that, that root idol of comfort and pleasure. And so this week, I'm going to be talking about control. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the four root idols and so this is, not, uh, this is not original to us. We've taken this material and, and uh, learned it from others and, and are teaching through it now. And so the four root idols that we're looking at are comfort, pleasure, which Ronnie did today, control. Next week, we're going to look at power. And the week after that, we will look at approval. And so in a sense, I have grabbed the guys I know who have their PhDs in each of these areas. And not that it's good to have a PhD in Um, idolatry, but what I mean by that is the people that struggle the most with comfort and pleasure, Ronnie said, that's where I struggle the most, I'll take that one. I struggle the most with control, and so that's why I'm taking this one, and Jay Klossman will be uh, preaching on approvals. He said that's the one he struggles with the most, and so um, in in some sense, we're saying we're experts on the subjects because we wrestle with these the most. What, What that means is we're typically the most passionate about these areas that we struggle with and are wrestling with the most, and so could hear that in Ronnie's preaching last week through comfort and pleasure, and as we talk about control today, I'm saying that I by no means have arrived and wrestle and struggle with this every day. So I'm not standing up here as someone who has mastery over what it looks like to be in control and have perfect faith. I'm standing up here as someone who's saying, boy, I struggle with this topic big time. And so just want to clear the air there and and say this, that the the main point of today's sermon is this. So it's soul. I I think we have a slide for it. Soul, comma, God is in control. So soul, God is in control. So what rhymes with soul is control, and what's going on here is we're talking to the depths of our soul. We're talking to the inner man, to the inner woman. We're going beyond the thinking mind into the depths of our soul and and, and talking to our soul, preaching to our soul. And what we are doing is saying, soul, God is in control. And so my hope this day is that becomes a prayer for us this week and becomes a prayer for us in our lives as we look at this we can understand that it's actually God who is in control and it's a good thing for God to be in control. And so that's where we're going today. That's what we're going to be looking at in the book of Philippians. But the reason real quick that we decided to do this series called Tracing the Root is this, is that if my car, as I was driving on the road, 
started to have smoke coming out of it. It would be pretty foolish for me to pull over as smoke is coming out from underneath the hood, grab a cup of water, get out of my car and just dump it over the hood and then get back in my car and go. Because there's something that's going on under the hood. And so I would be addressing something that, that, that is at the very surface, but I'm not addressing what the root problem is, what the root issue is. And so what we're trying to do is not just say we want to get to a surface. And so there's certain sins that come up in our lives that Ronnie talked about last week. And so we want to say, what is driving those sins? What is underneath all that? Where is the root problem? Where is the root idolatry? What is really going on beneath the surface? And why do we want to do that? Because we want to get the gospel, the good news, not to the surface things, but we want to get the gospel to the root issues of what's going on in our lives. Because those things affect our relationships with God and with one another. And so we, 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 we want the gospel, the good news, to minister not just to the surface areas, but deep, deep down, deep in our souls, what is going on. We want the gospel to heal, to minister, and to transform what's going on there. And so that's why we're doing this. We're taking a look at what's going on a little bit deeper. The reality is, is that we're all worshipers. Every single person in this room, self-included, we are all worshipers. And so we're looking at this series to say, what are we worshiping? And typically the surface things that come out, the smoke that comes out from above is, is driven by a, a, a deeper thing. And, and here's the thing. This is not a knock against medicine anyway. I'm, I'm thankful we live in a time of modern medicine. But typically what happens is if you get a headache, what do you do? You take a pill. You're not normally tracing what's going on. Could it be from stress? Could it be from anxiety? Could it be from deeper things that are going on? We say, what's the quickest way that I can just get rid of this? And I'll say this with this series. There's no quick fix. What it is is, 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 is we are worshipers to our core. From the time we are born, God created us to be worshipers. That's not a bad thing. The problem is, as Ronnie says, is when we make good things, God things. And those things have the ability to destroy us. Listen to this. David Foster Wallace is not a Christian man. He says this. He gave this in his commandments uh, speech that... Uh, Kenyon College. He said, because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choices we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship he says, be it J.C. or Allah or Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. If it's truth, you will die a million deaths. I'm sorry. If it's truth, then you will never know enough. He says, worship your body and beauty and sexual lure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified in myths and proverbs and cliches and epigrams and parables and the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping it, the truth, up front in our daily conscience. He said, worship power, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need even more power over others to numb your own fear. Worship your intellect being seen as smart and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Again, not a Christian man saying, at the core, we are worshipers. 
And today we're going to look at this. What does it look like to actually worship the idol of control? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that what I'm preaching on the day right now, that you administer to my own soul. That God, you are in control. I struggle to believe that. I struggle to rest in that every day. Even now as I preach, I'm struggling with that truth, Father. I'm asking for your spirit to do what I can't do, and that's to open our ears and open our hearts to receive your word, to hear from you, to know you, to worship you, to glorify you. Father, thank you that you speak. Thank you that you love. Thank you for your word. Father, reshape the thoughts that we have of you that are completely inaccurate. Where we have worship control, where control is is at the center of our lives, where we have made that an idol. Teach us today that, Father, it is fickle and that it's not a true security because ultimately you are in control and that's a good thing. We need you to speak to us and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I won't have you turn there in your Bible. We, we have a sl- uh, slide for it. But in Luke 8, there's this storm that happens on Galilee. And so Jesus and his disciples head out on the sea. And in verses, uh, verse 22, it says, One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And they sailed. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And here's what I want us to focus on first. He asked this question, and it's a good question for us to ask ourselves right now. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? That's what he said. They woke him. They were in a state of panic. He, the creator of of the universe, the one who spoke everything into existence, Jesus Christ, was there in the boat, and he calms the sea, and, and, and he says, where is your faith? And it's a good question for us to wrestle with today. I think three things that's important to just see quickly from this passage is that we are not going to dive into this passage, but I think uh, a surface-level reading of it is that Jesus calms the storms in our life. But where that's not untrue, I don't think that's all that's going on here. Because at the end, in the final verse of this passage, it says, and they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? So Christ in his presence and in his deity stirred up even more marvel and fear. But I think there's three important things to see, and that's that uh, this, is that the storm in their lives was not a direct result of disobedience. They went where Jesus told them to go. That's important because storms in life are not always a direct result of disobedience. They were walking faithfully in obedience to where Christ told them to go, but yet a storm arose. That's important. Storms are not always because we are doing something bad. The second thing is that the one who spoke everything to existence holds the power to calm, to bring about a peace and a stillness. And third, as I said, the question for us is where is our faith and is it in our control? Is it in our ability to control the circumstances of life? As we flip over to Philippians, keep that question in the back of your mind is where is your faith? Let's look at Philippians 4. I'll read through it and then we'll come back and work through it. Philippians 4, 
4 through 9 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. As I said, I struggle with this. And so just to give you guys an example of how much I have to tell my soul that God is in control, there's a picture of me that we have right here. That is me taking my first flight with my buddy Piotrick in a smaller aircraft, not a commercial jet. There was only he and I on this flight. And so he, it, for those of you guys who know anything about planes, he has this little plane called a Mooney. And so we, he's been asking for a while to fly with him, and I've had every excuse in the book. And so uh, this time, what we were doing is our families were going camping, and so the, the wives uh, went up with the kids, and they drove, which I wish I would have done. And then we took the plane, and uh, I think that's the last time I smiled. That was pre-flight right there. And uh, there's, no, <laughs> there's no post-flight picture anywhere. If you guys have seen the Mar Marvel movies, it would have been like trying, they were trying to keep the Hulk calm inside of their jet so he didn't tear a hole in it. And I, I was on the verge of just doing everything I could to get out of that plane fast enough. So here's what happened. It was a pretty calm flight into where we were going. And then on the way back, that's just not the case at all. It was bumpy and it was choppy. And this is a weird feeling, even as I convey it, is, is, is I was so flush that it felt like my blood was crawling through my skin. I was like tingly. I was so nervous that, that he said, uh, you just went silent for like the last eight minutes. Like I didn't want to talk. I didn't want it to be addressed. And then we, we, we landed and we got stopped. And I said, Piotrick, thanks for having me. I just want you to know that'll be the last time I ever fly with you again. <laughs> and I will, I will stand by that. While we were up there, Piotrick not being a Christian said, were you praying the whole time? I'm like, I was. Do you know what, why this bothers me so much? Is I love being in control. And if you sit in the passenger seat of a car, at least you kind of know what's going on if you're in a bad spot. But when you're in a cockpit of an airplane and you've never been in one, you don't know what anything means. Sure, there's a little wheel in front of you, but I don't know how to use it. There's a lot of stuff going on. I, I felt completely out of control, and I don't like that at all. I hate it. I like being in control. I like knowing the circumstances. I like knowing how things work and how things will work out. And in that moment, I wish that I could say, I, I was like, soul, God is in control. But that's not where I was at. I was just completely freaking out. And I think this morning, what we're looking at is this, is that as we talk on the subject of control, one of the surface things that comes up with people who struggle with control is anxiety, worry, and fear. Anxiety, worry, and fear. And so if someone struggles with com uh, comfort or pleasure, a, uh, uh, something that comes up a lot in their life is boredom. If you struggle with approval, you might struggle with uh, uh, cowardice. But with control, you, there's a good chance you probably struggle with a lot of anxiety, fear, and worry in your life because you like that so-called security blanket of, of being in control. So let's see how the Word of God, and specifically how Paul 
here addresses it in the book of Philippians. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. It's, it's, it's quite interesting that Paul gives this uh, imperative, which is a command. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Notice that Paul doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances, rejoice in your situation, rejoice in anything else going on and around you. He does not do that. Nine times in this letter, Paul talks about being in Christ, a union with Christ. The other nine times, he's talking about a gospel message. He's pointing to a person, Jesus Christ, and he says, rejoice in the Lord. Every minute of every day, you can rejoice, but you can rejoice in the Lord. And and then he says, always. And then he says, again, I, I will say rejoice. That's how Paul starts us off. How can you do that? I think you can do that. You can rejoice in the Lord if, if, if you say soul, God is in control. My circumstances, they may, may look like a mess, but soul, know this, that God is in control. And so he says that. And I think it's important to know where, where, where Paul is at, the author of Philippians right now, is actually in prison. So, you're like, so it, it, we, we can't go, well, of course Paul can say that. What does he know? This is post Paul being uh, stoned and beaten and shipwrecked when he wrote about in 2 Corinthians. This is Paul in prison saying, rejoice. Not in your situation, circumstance, but in the Lord. In verse 5, he says this, and let your reasonableness, which is kindness, which is gentleness, be known to everyone. So, So he says rejoice, and then he says, let your kindness be known to everyone. Do you know what's interesting is our strategy... When, when, when things are turbulent in our life, are to isolate. But what Paul says is rejoice. And then he says, let your kindness be known, as in be known. Don't run and isolate. He says, that's your strategy. That's not God's. He says, be known. Be known and not just be known, but let your gentleness be known. And so one way when, uh, when, when the turbulent times hit, when you're in bad circumstances of life, that, that the Word of God says to deal with it is actually rejoice in the Lord Rejoice in your relationship with Him. Rejoice in what you have with Him. But at that point also, let your gentleness and kindness be known to others. So so what you're doing is you're so inward focused. Why don't you look out and care for others and love others and let that be known to people? Well, how can we do this? Well, if you think about this, the way that you could be kind to people, the way that you could let this be known is what he says here. At the end of verse 5, he says, the Lord is at hand, which actually means this, the Lord is near. In Jeremiah 23, 23, he asks this question. He says, am I a God that is far off or am I a God that is near? The only way that you could rejoice and the way you could let your kindness be known is if you know that in the boat the disciples were in, their creator was in the boat with them. The eyes that they looked into that day and woke up someone, they looked into the eyes of their creator. And what he could say in that moment is, I'm here. I'm at hand. Throughout the Psalms, what is being communicated is the Lord is saying, I am near. Jesus was in the very boat. And so what we can do is we can say, soul, God is in control and he is near. But then it, it, it gets to verse 6, which, which uh, has been said, this is now the most popular verse inside of the Bible, which is an extremely tall order. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about some things. No, it doesn't say that. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Wow. Do not be anxious about anything. How can you do that? 
you would have to understand that Jesus is in the boat with you. The one who can calm the storms, the one who can calm the seas, he is near, he is with you. How do you know if you struggle with control? Let me list a few things that might expose that this is a root idol in your heart and in your life. And just so we know, when we get near our idols, we don't like it, so we push back. I would ask you, by the grace of God, the power of the Spirit, to just try and hear and receive this. Don't listen for yourself or the per- or, I'm sorry, listen for yourself, not for the person next to you. But you might struggle with control. There's a list of 17 things. I will not read them all. But you might struggle with control if you or your children live a sheltered life as a means to protect. One way that you might know you struggle with control is if spontaneity doesn't exist in your life, but loneliness does. Another way you might know is if you struggle with control, if you are always concerned about protecting a certain outcome and guarding or doing whatever it takes to make sure that outcome happens. I myself am much like a Jacob. When I don't trust and when I get anxious, what I do is I think of 10 other things and backup plans to try to fix my situation so that I'm in control. You might have control if you feel like the only person who can do something right is yourself, so you need to do it, which leads to exhaustion. You might be someone who struggles with control if you don't listen well because you're laser-focused on your agenda. Someone with the struggle of control may see charming, may seem charming, but they've learned this to be attuned to others for flattery and manipulation. Someone with control idol may commonly give unsolicited advice and need others to help so they can help others as a means of control to get others on their side. People with control can struggle to shame and criticize and belittle others to feel superior. You can go the other direction with it, and, and, and uh, one of the things that was listed is one way to know that you might struggle with control is to keep everyone at a distance out of fear of rejection and them getting to know who you truly are. Blame is the game oftentimes of those who struggle with control. This is just a, a small list of the things that say this might be where some of the anxiety and worry and fear comes from in our lives, this deeper-seated thing of I need to be in control. And, and just, to, j- just to be clear, Control is like mounting a steering wheel on the passenger side of a car. It doesn't really do anything. You can look at it. You might think you can grab control of it. You might actually think that you're doing something, but it's also kind of like being on the back of a tandem bike. You're just kind of hanging on. It's a false security. All of Ecclesiastes is actually trying to show that, that you're trying to grab on and control something, but it's actually vapor and it's smoke. So to think that we are actually in control is quite crazy. As we see people's lives end without them even knowing people get cancer, things happen all the time. We lose jobs. Things happen. We're not as in control as we like to believe we are, and it is a false security blanket and that can produce a ton of anxiety in our lives. So he says in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Just to be clear, I want to say this. that I'm not saying we don't lock our doors at night. I'm just saying this, that when we become neurotic about things and gaining control in this, whatever that might be, it can produce a lot of anxiety in our hearts and in our lives. What, what can help? Community. Community can step in and say, hey, I think you might have a control problem. I think you might struggle with this. Can I spot control in people's lives? Absolutely. 
go shopping with my daughter, my oldest, my two daughters, and one of them sits in the bottom of the cart and the other one sits at the top of the cart. The one in the bottom is the older. What does she do? Everything that goes in the cart, she organizes it in the cart. Like she has everything set in, in a perfect exact spot where she wants it. And then when the other daughter tries to mess with something, then she freaks out. Because she loves having control over how everything looks. And I tried to gospel my oldest when we got in the car, and I was like, Joey, the reason that you do this is because you have a control idol. And, 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 what you, and I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't find the words. So I was like, just stop being in control. And that's how I responded. Because I was like, I can see it on other people. And I'm like, it doesn't look good. But the reality is, is it doesn't look good on any of us either. And here's the crazy thing, is this is what you might not know about me, and this is what's helpful, is that control does not always take on a form of being possessive. Control for me, and the reason why I struggle with anxiety so much, is because control for me is about suppressing anything that any of you could ever see. Tucking it. Well beneath the surface. And keeping my life in control so it looks like I'm cool as ice. Reality is there's a storm that's brewing underneath. And I've learned how to manage those emotions, manage things that people can see. And so my control gets tucked in and hidden. And what I do is I try to control anyone seeing that my life and my internal state might be a mess. That's fun. But under the hood of my own heart in my own life is this, and this is what control is. It is a heart that says, God, I don't trust you. I trust myself. That's what I struggle with. That I don't believe that you care about the same things I care about to the depth that I care about them. I think I need to take this one, God, because I'm not sure that you're seeing it all or that you're on it enough. These details I trust myself with, and I don't trust you. At, at the heart of a control idol is a soul that doesn't say God is in control. It's a soul that says I am in control. We see this in the Bible. We see this with Martha and Mary. Sweet little Martha, sweet little Martha is running around like crazy because Jesus is over for dinner. And she's doing everything. And to be honest, I would praise Martha. I'd be like, yeah, she's doing something. What's Mary doing? Just having a sweet little devotion with Jesus. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus being fed. So Martha comes over and rebukes her only to get rebuked by Jesus because she, in a sense, she's like, hey, it's nice sitting there at the feet of Jesus. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be done. And do you know what Jesus tells her? He uses this word for anxiety here. He says, Martha, you are anxious about many things. Mary has chosen the one thing, and this is good. See, anxiety stems from us being anxious about so many things. And what Jesus does is he pulls in, he redirects, and brings in this laser focus. He says, you're anxious about so many things. Let's bring it in to what Mary was doing and say, if you fix your eyes on this one thing, it drowns out the anxieties of the world. He goes on in Luke 12 to say, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your, uh, of your life? And so in a sense, he's saying, since you can't even control this, why are you worrying about everything else? Clothing and food and all these things, businesses and jobs and everything. Why are you worrying? What does he do? He says in that, seek first the kingdom, which can also be translated what? Seek the king. Fix your eyes back on Jesus. And then he says, and then all the other things will be added to you. So oftentimes what we need when we struggle with anxiety and when it comes up in our life from this deeper problem of control is that we need to refix our gaze back upon Jesus who actually is in control and God who is in control of every situation in our lives. 
So continue on in verse 6, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Look at this. The Word of God tells us what to do. <laughs> do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What does it say? Let your prayers, you know, supplication, our requests, let the very things that you're anxious about, give those to God. Let those be known to God. You can talk to God about those things. Give those things to God. Talk to Him. Request those things. And then He says something that's so crazy to our way of thinking. He says this. Look, you have to see this. He says, do this. In everything by prayer and supplication. So whatever you're anxious about, go to God in prayer with all these requests. That's supplication. And then He says this. With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. We'd say, wait a minute. Don't we wait till God answers our prayers and then thank Him? It's not what it's saying here. It's not saying when God answers your prayers, then He's saying as you let your requests be known to God, He, say, he says, be thankful. In that moment, give God praise. Why would He say that? And why would we do that? Tim Keller says this, the, the, the way that we can do that in prayer is by knowing this, that God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that He knows. And I would add that, that God gives you what you would ask for if you knew everything that was best for your own good and for His glory. And so when we ask these prayer requests, we can actually thank God and be reminded of Romans 8.28. For He works not some things, but all things for the good of those who love Him and for His glory. So we can actually give praise for the things that are going on in our life if we know God's character if we know how good He is and how faithful He is. And so when we're asking for these things, we can say, God, I thank You that You are good, that You are faithful. A.W. Tozer says the most important thoughts you think are the thoughts you think about God. Our doctrine of who God is changes the way that we pray, and it changes our anxiety, it changes our fears. Why? Because our soul at that point can know that God is in control. And the one that we're praying to, the one that we're asking from stuff, uh, stuff from, we can say, thank You. That you will only do, only do what is best for me and what is best for your glory. Look at this. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guard here is, is, is a military term. It, it's like this. If you want a peace that surpasses all your understanding, God gives a peace that will surpass. It goes beyond what your mind can grasp into the depths of your heart and it's found in Christ Jesus. If I said I put a 10 infants outside of your house keeping watch, you can sleep well tonight, you would say, no, I can't. But if I said I put 100 of the most elite soldiers in the world outside of your house tonight, what would you do? Probably sleep like a baby. Again, coming from someone who has control issues, my trust is in an alarm system and in everything else. What is being said here is that, hey, the peace of God that you need is actually from knowing that God is the one who guards your life. And how does He do that? And how does He offer it? In Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means that we need a deeper inner peace. We need a peace that goes beyond our minds in the depths of our heart and the depths of our soul. What we need is this. 
is that in the midst of our anxiety, in the midst of our worry, in the midst of our control idols that are driving us, what we need is we need to know that we are at peace with God. The very thing that that we are the most out of control over in life is reconciling us back to God in a relationship with Him. What our souls need in the depths of our souls is, is to be at peace with God, and we are completely incapable of producing that. And so what God did is in the darkest moment of all of human history is He provided our greatest need so what we're able to do is, is, is look at the darkest moment in human history where an innocent man dies on the cross and God says, when it looked like I was completely out of control, what I was doing in that moment was reconciling humanity back to me and I was in control. And what I offer is I offer peace, a restored relationship with me and that's what you need. And in the midst of brokenness and, and out of control situations in our life, we can remember what gives us peace is to look at the cross and to look at what seemed utterly out of control and God says hey if I could bring the most beautiful thing through that then you need to trust me that I can bring whatever's going on in your life out for your own good and my own glory he goes on to say this in verse 8 finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if there is any excellence, is there anything worthy of praise? Look at this word. I do not like the English translation of it here. This word that says, think about these things. The reason why is because this Greek word, logizomai, actually means to tell. It means to preach. It means to share. And so what, what, what Paul's response to a lot of this is, is to pray with thanksgiving and to do that, to rejoice, to do these things. And then he says, finally, he goes to doctrine. He goes, whatever is true and lovely and, and pure, whatever is, whatever is commendable, what is he doing? He's saying you need to preach the truths of this to the depths of your soul. What is he saying? First, you need to preach Christ to your soul. This concept of us preaching the gospel to ourselves is not original. It goes back to Psalm 42 when, when, when the psalmist, is, his, his soul is in a state of turmoil and he's crying out, as a deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you. And he's in agony. And then he goes, what does he say? Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Hope in God. He's talking to what? His soul. He's saying hope in God. He's saying soul. God is in control. Why are you so downcast? So this word, think about these things, is not about empty thoughts. As, as, as one pastor says, the anxious heart is a listening heart. The restful heart is one that preaches to itself. Monday, tomorrow's going to hit for every one of us. Lord willing. And we can be anxious about many things. But what he's saying is this, is think about Jesus. Who, who is true? Who, who, who is pure? Who is commendable? That's Christ. He's talking about this. Think about Christ. Think about who he is. Think about what he's done. As one person says, for every one look you take at your sin and your circumstances in life, take five looks at Christ and the Savior. We can try to control God by, by, by upholding morals and doing good things in our life. And, 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 and that's also vain saying, look to Jesus Christ. Do you know that you are not what you did this morning or last night or this week? I, I struggle almost every week to stand up be, because of my sins, faults, and failures and ever feel worthy to preach. And the reality is, is that I'm not. But what I can either do is I can look to my own life and all my stuff or I can look to the life that Christ lived 
on this earth in my place, the death that he died in my place, and I can look to all that Christ is, is pure and lovely and commendable, and I can say, Christ has made me all of that in the sight of God. I think a great example of this as I close is a man named Horatio uh, Spafford. He wrote a song, uh, a, a, a song that we're going to sing in a moment, an old hymn. And Horatio was a successful lawyer and attorney who lost all of his wealth in the Chicago fire. Two years later, they were set to take a vacation with he and his wife and their four daughters. He was, able to, uh, he was not able to make it the last moment, so he sent his wife and his daughters away. Where their ship was hit by another ship, and it's said that, that his wife brought in their four girls, and they prayed. She was found, his wife, unconscious. While all four daughters passed, she sent Horatio a note that said, survived alone, what do I do? A couple years later, three years later, they had a boy who also passed at the age of four unexpectedly. Horatio went with his wife out to the seas where they thought that this is probably where their daughters had passed. And he wrote these lyrics. Listen to these. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, whatever's going on in my life has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Then he goes on to say this, my sin Oh, the bliss of the glorious thought. He's not relish, or he's not going, look at my sin. Oh, glorious thought. What he's saying is, he says this, my sin, not in part, but the whole. What does he say? Is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. What does the cross of Jesus have to do with someone in their darkest and deepest moment of life crying out and thanking Jesus for what he has done? Everything. Because in the darkest moments of life, we go back to the cross and say, God is in control. Soul, God is in control. He proved it then. He's given me what's best for me, and I can rest in that. I actually deserve that, but he's made me a child. If you're someone here like myself who struggles with anxiety every day, I asked my counselor, I said, I'm struggling with this. How do I preach this? There's people that struggle with chronic anxiety. And he said something that was really good for me to hear, and I hope maybe it's good for you to hear. God is a good God who gives good commands that we can't fulfill, which is why Christ came to fulfill all those commands for us. And anxiety might be something that I wrestle with for the rest of my life, but I can be more anxious about being anxious or more depressed about being depressed, or I can look to Christ, who perfectly trusted in God every moment of every day and know that one day my anxiety will be removed and I will be with him forever and eternity. But in this time, that maybe my anxiety is the one thing that drives me to show me how much I need the grace of God in my life. So whether putting your kids to bed at night, whether sending them away like we did with our daughters this weekend, whether flying like I did, stepping out in faith into a new job, a new career, whatever it is, you have the opportunity to ask this question, where is my faith? And say, soul, God is in control. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank You that You are in control. Thank You that You are good. Thank You, Jesus, that You believe that every moment of every day. Thank You that You showed how much You trusted God by coming to earth as an infant. that you stepped in to have your uh, uh, diapers changed and to be taken care of. Why? Because you trusted in God perfectly. I pray that our souls today would have peace, knowing that we are at peace with you, not at war with you, because Jesus, you went to war on the cross with God so that we could be at peace with him forever. Amen.